Father, we thank you that we're here today because of the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask that as we open your word that you might teach us that that love does constrain us and that love does give us new life and that love does call us. So, Father, help us today to be used by you for your honor, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Well, all of those all of those readings were great, and they would have all, each and every one of them would have made a great sermon, so I thought I'd preach all of them. <laughs> it's okay. It's not going to happen, but it's uh, kind of interesting. I love the passage in Job. Don't you just love it? Job is going, you know, why me? And God says, I just have a couple questions for you. You know, I just have a couple questions for you. Where were you when uh, the world was made? Did, did you keep the seas together? And uh, Job finishes up and goes, my God, <laughs> you're the one that I love. And I just absolutely love that passage so very, very much. The, the, the gospel passage is a great passage on how uh, sometimes there's fright in our lives and how God changes things so drastically. But I have to tell you, the passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I knew when I saw it would be the passage that uh, I'd um, be using for this morning. You know, last week, Father Don talked to us about facing death with confidence because we have a salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. There's the promise that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We can take pleasure in that thought and live in our confidence in our place in eternity. You know, and sometimes I think that it would be so much better if we were like the uh, man who was healed of the demons and he said, Lord, just let me come with you. And Jesus says to him, yeah, um, no. I've got some other things for you to do. You know, when I came to know him as my personal savior, it would have been so much better for me able to say, okay, Lord, let's go. You can take me home now. And he goes, no, I've got some things that I have for you to do. And that's kind of where we come when we come to this passage of scripture. Unfortunately, what happens sometimes in our lectionary is that it misses some of the key parts of what's taking place. Last week, we found out that our faith in Jesus Christ leads us to a new home in heaven. But the interesting thing is that that, that that also does some other things in our lives. Uh, when we look in chapter 5 and, and, and we begin, he says, uh, like in verse 10, he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So he's saying to us, we're, we're going to have that time there. And in verse 11, it says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Do you understand the accusation that's being made there against Paul? They are telling him that he is crazy. The world looks at people who truly do follow Jesus Christ as being crazy because it's a whole different idea, a whole different philosophy. I read something the other day, and I know you all don't have this problem, but I read it the other day, and I can't exactly find where I read it. 
So I don't know who said it. So if this is uh, what, what, plagiarism, I'm sorry. But what, I, what, but what I liked was it said this. It's not hard to convince people to choose heaven over hell, but it is more difficult to get people to choose heaven over the earth. None of us want to go to hell. I mean, if, if we truly understand what hell is all about, we all want to go to heaven. But I have to admit, how many of us really like the way things are right here? How many of us think that it's okay? You're doing all right, God. I'm okay right here. I don't need to follow you. It's, it'll be all right. I, 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 love, uh, I love having a house. I love having food to eat. I uh, love having my, my wife is reminding me, I love having my wife. It's always good to have your wife remind you of the things that you should say in a sermon. And my dogs. And my dogs. So, you know, we have all of these things, and sometimes it's like, am I really willing to say that I am a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, and therefore God is the one who, to whom I look. And, and, and when he says, were you there when I made? And I go, well, I don't want to do that. And he says to me, were you there when I put the seas where they should be? Were you there when I calmed the storm on that lake? Were you there? You know, and we have all of these things that we look at. And in this passage that's laid out for us today, Paul moves from those who think he's crazy because of his dedication and desire to serve the Lord. He tells them that in this passage the reason why he is the way he is. And the reason why he is the way he is is because Christ's love should control me so that I'm excited to become his ambassador. Christ's love should so control me that I'm excited to become his ambassador. So there are three things that I want to talk with you about today. I want to talk to you about the Christ's love that controls, Christ's love that creates, and Christ's love that calls. So if you don't remember anything else, remember that Christ's love is, is controlling, Christ's love creates new life, and Christ's love calls me to be something that he wants me to be. So nothing else. Those are the three things to remember. When we talk about Christ's love, we look at this passage in 14. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So when he, we look at that word control, some of you will have in your scriptures the word constrains. Uh, that word has the idea of what drives me? What, what makes me get up in the morning to do what I want to do? You remember a few sermons ago, I know you don't because you don't remember anything I said from the last sermon, but a few sermons ago, a few sermons ago, I said that one of the things that often happens or what uh, uh, Teresa, uh, St. Teresa 
did first thing in the morning was to say, good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Jesus. You know, and if I say good morning, Jesus, that may be one of the things that motivates me. Do I, do I focus on what he did and what he has done for me so that he controls the things that I do? This should be the driving force in my life. Paul says the driving force in my life is the fact that Christ loves me. Christ loves me. Never, ever forget that Christ loves those who have called upon him. Paul tells us here in verse 14 what it was that gave him no choice and what was forced on him to act the way he did on the narrow road. And notice how it is stated, it is the love of Christ, not his love for Christ, that has this constraining power over his life. Do you, do you understand what it, that, that just said? It's not so much that I love him that it controls me, it's that he loves me. It's his love for me that gives me direction in my life. You know, that's kind of an interesting thing. Oswald Chambers says, Paul was overpowered, subdued, and held in a, as in a vice by the love of Christ. You, you get that picture? Oh, did y'all ever watch that old Saturday night wrestling and they would put him in a head vice or whatever I think they called it, you know? And so the guy went wherever it is because he's got him in a headlock and everything and he puts him in. He was controlling him. Well, what happens is that the love of Christ doesn't get me in a headlock. It just surrounds me with that love and makes it so great. And, 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 and he goes on to say, very few of us really know what it means to be held in the grip of the love of Christ. We tend so often to be controlled simply by our own experience. The one thing that gripped and held Paul to the exclusion of everything else was the love of God. This was written by a man by the name of Paul Gallagher who came out of a life of being, um, uh, being um, a pornography. He was, uh, he was addicted to it. And it was the love of Christ that got a hold of him and got a vice on him and said, this makes a difference in my life. You know, for us, there are many things that may be controlling us otherwise. But we need to ask ourselves, does the love of Christ control us? And, and, and I guess then we need to ask, what, what do we mean, the love of Christ? What, what is it? Well, I like the next part. He says, we have concluded. We have concluded. That word concluded is the Greek word for judged. In other words, we've looked at all of the facts. We've looked at the evidence. We've looked at the things that are true. And that evidence, by that evidence, we conclude that Christ loved me so much that he should control me. That he should control me. He died in my place. That's what he says. Therefore all have died, and he died for all those who live. 
uh, who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The gospel is Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures and he was buried. On the third day, he was raised according to the scriptures and he appeared. That's the gospel. That's the good news that changes lives. I'm not my own. I belong to him when I, when I recognize that he's the one that paid the price for me when I could no longer come to the Father, that I could no longer know what real joy and real peace was because I was the one who determined what in my life, what joy and peace was. And it never gave me joy and it never gave me peace because I became my own God. But when we see that it's the love of Christ that sent him to the cross to die for me, that controls me. There's the control that he's talking about. I have that. But because he controls, his love controls me, his love now also creates me. And in the next section, we read, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. So the second thing that we see is because Christ's love controls us, Christ's love also creates us in a new being. This word was often used in rabbinic writing of people who were outside of the Jewish faith who came to be part of the Jewish faith. They were living in idolatry, and now they were following the living God. That, this is the word that's used. This new creation aspect is the word that's used there. So that when you and I accept Jesus as our personal Savior, recognizing that we cannot be our own gods because it gets us nowhere, and I place my faith and my trust in him, I can now become a new creation. There is new life that's put in me. As a matter of fact, we go in, we go back and we can read in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, you have put on the new self which is being renewed after the image of the creator. You know, the interesting thing is that when man was created in the garden, he was created in the image of God, and what did he do? He did anything except glorify or, or praise God. Because my position is God is always glorified in anything that happens. You go, well, wait a minute. Man sinned. That how, because now you and I get to see that the love of Christ controls through his death that allows us to be a new creation that reconciles us with the Father. What happened in the garden when man sinned? He was what? Kicked out of the garden up until that point in time. Every night, God came down and said, hey, let's talk, Adam. Did you and I talk? How'd things go? How are the plants? It wasn't that he didn't know. It wasn't that he didn't know. It was that he was having fellowship. 
He was knowing that Adam was dependent upon him and that Adam cared about him. But then the night came or the day came and God came down and he says, Adam, where are you? Adam says, oh, man, this is not good. And he says, why are you hiding? Because we were, we're naked. How do you know that? Well, we know that because Adam wanted not only, he didn't want to be like God. Let's face it. He wanted to be God. He wanted to control his own life. And what happened is that the fellowship that they had was broken. It wasn't there. And now we have Jesus Christ. And Jesus, God's own son. Yesterday morning, I was on my way to the hospital to do a visitation. And I was listening. Michael Rydelnik from Moody Bible Institute. My wife loves Michael Rydelnik. If we are in the car on Saturday morning, it doesn't matter what's on the radio. Michael Rydelnik is coming on. Yesterday's first question to Michael Rydelnik was this from a, a lady in Tampa. Dr. Rydelnik, I've heard that maybe Adam wasn't really a carpenter. Maybe he was a stonemason. And oh, hmm? Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus wasn't a, a carpenter. He was a stonemason. And that he didn't come from the lowest part of society. He probably came from, from, uh, from middle society. I have to tell you, I didn't listen to the answer. Because my question is, what difference does it make what he looked like here on earth, except that he came as the Son of God and humbled himself and became like one of us and died on the cross? That's the most important thing. I, I don't care whether he was a carpenter or whether he was a stonemason. I don't care whether he came from the lowest parts of society or a middle society. What I care about is that he is very God, a very God, and he left his home and he humbled himself by, by becoming in the form of a flesh and loved me so much that he died on the cross. Philippians chapter 2, one of my favorite passages. So he did that so that I could become the new creation in him. Over in John 1, it says, but all, who had, uh, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, or of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, the interesting thing that we have here is that it doesn't make any difference what we look on the outside. What matters is what do we look like on the inside in our relationship with Jesus Christ as he made us a new creation so that now, Instead of being what, I, what mankind was in Romans chapter 1, where he continued to move away from God, he now has put life in me and, 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 and his spirit in me so that I can be new in him and be his child. So that I have the opportunity to look like the Father. You see? So we have what we have happening then is we have Christ's love controlling us, and as Christ's love controls us, 
Christ's love creates in us, and once Christ's love creates in us, Christ calls us. Christ calls us. And this is what I want you to hear. You are here for a very specific purpose. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ. Therefore, if anyone in Christ is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, a new creation comes. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us. Now we have become reconciled with him. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 5 that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. I can now come and let's talk together, Father. We can go back. It's like being in the garden. You and I can talk. We can have fellowship together. I can pray to you. I can tell you what my needs are. You can tell me what you have for me through your word and through your spirit. We're reconciled. I want to be with you and want to be what you want me to be. That's reconciliation. That's what I have. Then like the man who, had, who was the demoniac, he said, let me go with you. He goes, no, go tell the people about it. Tell people about what God has done for you. What, tell them about how law, Christ's love controls you. Tell them about how lo, Christ's love controls you. So what does that mean? Well, it means that I tell them what he did. What did the man, what did the man do, the demoniac do? He said, let me tell you about this Jesus and what he did for me. Do you ever tell people what Jesus Christ has done for you? You see, that's being an ambassador. I'm now part of his kingdom, and he's now said, I want you to be my ambassador. You're going to be my representative to the people in the world that you come in contact with. They're going to know me by you. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what do they know about him? Right? What do they know about him? I've been reconciled to him. I have peace with him. Now what does my life look like? Do I look like him? Do I represent him well? Or would he think about... No, I can't say that. Um, I, 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 doctrinally, you wouldn't understand what I was saying, and I'd be in trouble. So, so I don't want to say that. But what he wants from us is that he wants you and me to be controlled by his love, to have a new creation in him, and tell other people about what Jesus has done for us. Then we can go back to that Job passage when Job goes, I don't understand what's happening to me. God says, I love you. You are mine. I'm the one that's in control. I will give you peace. I will give you direction. I will guide. And that's what he says to us. That's what he says to us. I want you to represent me. And if you represent me well, people will know how great of a loving God I am. So we look at it and we say, whoa, am I an ambassador? One writer says, like him, you find yourself becoming a giver instead of a taker. Isn't that amazing? If I'm left to myself, 
what do I want? I want what I want when I want it. If he's the one that's most important, then I want to be like him. And what was he? Why does his love control me? Because he gave so much. He gave his life. He gave his life. You're letting him give through you to people who are so used to being taken that at first they can't believe you're real. But that's part of the job we have here. We're not giving out of our resources, but of God's resources in heaven. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. He doesn't supply our need according to our need, but according to his riches, according to heaven's standard. There's a peace and a confidence that comes when you know that you, have, that you don't represent yourself, that you represent Christ in your situation. Romans 14, 17 says, the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Did you get that? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Am I an ambassador of God's kingdom? That's what I've got to ask myself. His love controls me. His love created me. And his love now calls me to be his ambassador. I love, uh, you, you all know that I, I love Oswald Chambers. And I think it was yesterday's uh, devotional. This is what he said. Today we have substituted doctrinal belief for personal belief. And that is why so many people are devoted to causes. And so few are devoted to Jesus Christ. You know, there are great causes. There really are. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we devoted to Jesus Christ to fulfill the things that need to be done? We can get nervous and we can say, wow, the world is in, the, excuse me, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. What is our job? Our job is to glorify God when that happens. Listen to, what, listen to what he says. People do not really want to be devoted to Jesus, but only to the cause he started. Jesus Christ is deeply offensive to the educated minds of today, to those who only want him to be their friend and who are unwilling to accept him in any other way. Our Lord's primary obedience was to the will of his Father, not to the needs of the people. you ever heard that said before? That's not something that I think about. As a priest, I want to meet the needs of the people. I want to meet the needs. But you know what the need really is? The need is Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean that I don't go out and, and, and give of my, uh, uh, of my abundance, or it doesn't mean that I don't pray, it doesn't mean any of those things. But I'm not doing it directly to meet their need. I'm doing it so that God is glorified in the things that I do. Because you see, I'm his ambassador. I'm his ambassador. Our Lord's primary obedience was the will of his Father, not to the needs of people. The saving of people was the natural outcome of his obedience to the Father. Saving, uh, 
if I am devoted solely to the cause of humanity, I will soon be exhausted and come to the point where my love will waver and stumble. But if I love Jesus Christ personally and passionately, I can serve humanity even though people may treat me like a doormat. The secret of a disciple's life is devotion to Jesus Christ, and the characteristic of that life is its seeming insignificance and its meekness. Yet it is like a grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. It will spring up and change the entire landscape. My prayer for me today is that my responsibility, that, that, that my desire is to know and be controlled by the love of Christ. And that Christ's love has made me a new creature. And that love has called me to do something. And in, in that, it's to glorify him in the things that I do. And when I glorify him, guess what happens? People, people have their needs met. Have their needs met. What controls your life? What controls your life? I pray that it's the love of Christ that controls your life, that's given you a new creation, and has called you to be his ambassador. Amen.